0: This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org. Overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to our program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our lessons today in the Proverbs Illustrated with Examples And we want to start in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where we see that the soul that trusts God is divinely directed. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths." We want to begin by looking at a crisis that happened in the life of King Hezekiah of Judah. We want to go to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. We want to begin reading here in verse 8. Now this is when Assyria had come down against the city of Jerusalem, and they were ready to lay siege to the city, and a fellow by the name of Rabshakeh was crying there out from what he was trying to say from the king there, Sennacherib, and he's telling Judah, basically, you might as well give up because no other cities have been able to stand against the king of Assyria. And you think about it, Israel, the nation of Israel, had been carried away in captivity by the Assyrians not long before this. Actually, Hezekiah was king of Judah whenever that took place. But anyway, verse eight says, Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Lipna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. And these are two cities in Judah. And when he heard say of Turhaka, uh, king of Ethiopia, behold, he's come out to fight against thee, he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, Thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. And shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the children of Eden, which were in Thalassar? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? and the king of Sepharvaim of Hina and Iva. And Hezekiah, verse 14, received the letter in the hand of the messengers and read it. Now, stopping right there for a moment. Going back and looking at the history of Assyria, they had conquered all these nations. Now, he didn't mention Samaria here in this part, but he did mention it in another part. Talking about Samaria had been taken as well, and isn't the, the god of Samaria the same god that you worship? Well, it wasn't really, because they worshiped those two golden calves, didn't they? But regardless, you have an idolater here saying there's no god that's been able to stand up against the king of Assyria. Well, in human understanding, going back to what we read a while ago in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, if they were to lean on their own understanding, then they would think there was no hope. But what did Hezekiah do? Well, let's continue reading here in verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. What is he doing? Lean not unto thine own understanding. Trust in God. And that's what Hezekiah is doing. Verse 15, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. So there is what Hezekiah did. He trusted in God. Well, what are the results of that? Look down in verse 35 and following. It says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's a hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib king of Assyria departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch his god that Adrammelech and Sherezer his son smote him with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Armenia and Aserhaddon his son reigned in his stead. So right there Hezekiah trusts in God and God directed his paths into what he should do. And what was that? Do nothing. Trust God. And God handled that situation. Now let's look at another example. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 verses 6 through 10. We see that David depended on direction from the Lord. 1 Samuel 30 verses 6 through 10. It said, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. All right, what's taking place here? It says he was distressed. We'll be back up to verse 1 here of chapter 30. It It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites, and Ziklag was where David was posted at, they were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men Came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. <laughs> then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives: Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal of the Carmelite. Now we see why David is greatly distressed. Because the people talked about stoning him. He was their leader. He had taken them away on some raids in different area. And look what happened. The Amalekites came, burnt their city down, and took everyone captive. But what did David do? He leaned not unto his own understanding, but he trusted in the Lord. As it says there, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover them all. Verse 9, So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor. For those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred men abode behind, which were so faint they could not go over the brook Besor. So right now David followed what God told him to do. He trusted God. Now he's doing what God told him to do. Well, let's keep reading and see how that turned out. Verse 11. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me, because three days agone I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Carathites, and upon the coast, which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and we burn Ziklag with fire. Verse 15, and David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Verse 17. And David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither great nor small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. So because David trusted in the Lord and did not lean unto his own understanding... He recovered everything and was divinely directed by God. Now the next proverb that we want to look at there is two paths. And that is Proverbs chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. Proverbs chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. It says there, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So right there we see there are two paths, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Jesus also mentioned these two paths in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where he said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. So we have the straight gate or the straightened gate, that gate that is narrow, that is hard to follow through. That is the straight gate and Proverbs, that would be the path of the just, those who are living according to the word of God and doing what God has to say. But you go back to Matthew 7.13, he mentions the broad way that leadeth to destruction, and it is a wide gate, and many there be which go in thereat. That would be like Proverbs 19. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. But I find it interesting Jesus mentions that it's an easy way to travel, because You're going to be living like the world, and the world loves people that live like the world. They don't love people that live as God tells us to live. Their way is darkness. Their way is not, you know, whenever the light shines on their sins, the light of God's word, they don't like that. They don't want to be corrected. Well, let's look at an example then in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We find the example here of the blindness of the Pharisees. We begin there in verse 1. This is a very interesting event that took place. Chapter 9, verse 1, the book of John. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now stopping there for a moment, we're going to chase a few rabbits as we go along. It won't hurt anything. The disciples of Jesus thought in their minds that if someone was afflicted in such a way as this man was blind, that Either he had to sin or his parents sinned to cause his blindness. Now, I find it interesting. He was born blind, so how could he sin in order to cause that blindness? Well, you think about it. Mankind from way back has believed that very same thing, that if someone is suffering then they must be very wicked. That's what Job's three friends thought. You know, Job was prosperous and then all of a sudden Satan came and destroyed his wealth. Satan destroyed his family. Satan destroyed Job's health. Job's three friends thought Job you must be a terrible, terrible person because God is punishing you this way. Well, that wasn't the case and neither is that the case here with this blind man. In John 9.3 Jesus answered neither has this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in this world I am the light of this world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is my interpretation, sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. All right, let's stop there for a little bit. We can kind of apply the last proverb we looked at. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. You think about it, if you're a blind man, you've been blind from birth, and a person comes to you, and he spits on the ground, he makes clay, and puts it on your eyes. And what did he say? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Okay. Does that make a whole lot of sense? Did he tell him why to go wash in the pool of Siloam? Well, we're not told here that he did. But we are told that he went. He didn't lean on his own understanding. He went and came when he washed. He went and washed and came seeing. So now this blind man can see. Now verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, and they which had seen him that was blind, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's liking. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. Now, verse 13, the Pharisees get involved. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then said or then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind, and received his sight. Until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. So right there again, stopping for a minute, they didn't believe that man. <clears throat> this man called Jesus. Well, they hated Jesus. But he said, "He put clay on my eyes. I said go wash. I washed. I came seeing." They said, "Well, this man, he he is not of God." because he worked on the Sabbath day. He made clay. I'm sure that was a lot of clay. Uh, Put it on his eyes. But anyway, they didn't believe him, so they called his parents. Verse 19, And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. Kind of threw him under the bus there. Why? Verse 22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Oh, there we go. Now we see, don't we? They were afraid of the Jews there. They were afraid of the priests. They were afraid of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they might get kicked out of the synagogue. Do you think they knew how their son knew how to, how to see now, how he wasn't blind anymore? Apparently so, because it says they said it because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. So they knew. They knew what had happened. So, verse 24. Then again called they, that being the Pharisees, the man that was blind and said unto him, give god the praise in other words tell us the truth this time we know this man is a sinner he answered and said whether he be a sinner or no i know not one thing i know that whereas i was blind now i see then said to him again then said they to him again What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? If I tell you again, will you then become his disciples? I've already told you. Oh, they didn't like that. Verse 28, then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Well, they didn't have an answer for him, so they started reviling him. Isn't that the way people are? And they'll do it again here in a little bit. If people, you 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 try to teach people something about the scriptures or about the Bible or maybe evolution, creation, abortion, divorce, remarriage, things like that. And whenever they see they're wrong or they don't have an answer for what you just said, they'll revile you. That's what they did to Jesus. That's what they do to everyone. That says things they don't like. They may call you a racist. They may call you a bigot because they don't have an answer. Their answer is just to call names. Well, we don't know where he's from. Verse 30, the man answered and said unto them, why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. All right, pay attention here, people. Verse 32, Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were of God, he could do nothing. He couldn't open my eyes if he wasn't from God. That has never happened in this world. Well, they had no answer for that either. Verse 34, They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. No answer. So call him names and throw him out. Well, verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Who is the Son of God that I can believe on him? He said, Basically, me. Jesus said, I am the Son of God. And what did he do? He believed. Now verse 39 And Jesus said for judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see and that they which see might be made blind Now we're looking at spiritual things here now because the Pharisees understood that verse 40 and 41 shows the blindness of the Pharisees see they were not they were following the path of the wicked, They were following the wide gate and the broad way that leads to destruction. Because they said, verse 40, some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see therefore your sin remaineth. They didn't see what God wanted them to see. They saw what they wanted to see. Isn't that the way people are so many times? If you disagree with them, you're the one that's wrong. You know, Somebody is basically saying whenever you present facts to them, don't confuse me with the facts my mind's already made up and that's the way the Pharisees were they were following the path of the wicked Now let's look at another proverb and that is Proverbs chapter 5 now verse 22 Proverbs 5:22 Here it mentions that the wicked are ensnared by their own iniquity. The verse reads, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Verse 23, He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. We want to go to the book of Esther to see the illustration here of this, of what we're looking at here. The book of Esther. And we want to go to chapter 7. Chapter 7. A little bit of background here before we get into the scripture reading. Haman, was a man who was highly, or put forth highly there in the kingdom there of Ahasuerus, who was the king there of the Medo-Persian Empire at this time. And there was a man by the name of Mordecai, who was a Jew, and he refused to bow down before old Haman here. So Haman hated Mordecai. I'll give you an example of that back in chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. It says, Then went Haman forth that day joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's date, that he stood not up, nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends, and Zerash, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches, and the multitude of his children, and all the things wherein the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, Moreover, yes, to so the queen, did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself." And tomorrow I am invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Now verse 14. Then said Zeresh his wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou to the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. He hated Mordecai, so he was going to hang him. And he mentions here that that gallows was 50 cubits high. Well, if this is the cubit of 18 inches would be a cubit, that would be a 70 foot high gallows. That being made there to hang Mordecai on. Well, she mentioned, they mentioned the banquet there. So let's go now to chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said unto Esther on the second day of the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given at my petition, and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we have been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I'd held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail or have compensated for the king's damage. Now, what is she talking about there? They've been sold, into. they're going to be destroyed. Well, what is going to happen here? Let's go back a little bit and look at a little bit uh, things that happened prior to this as well, back in chapter 3. It says there in verse 8 that Haman said to king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people, neither do they keep the king's laws. Therefore it is not good for the king's prophet to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took of his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hammedatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. All right, now verse 12. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, in the name of king Ahasuerus was it written, and sealed with the king's ring and the letters were sent by posts into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey, Now, verse 14, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province and published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. They're going to be killed. They're going to be destroyed. Why? Because Haman knew that Mordecai was a Jew and he hated Mordecai and decided he hated all Jews and he's going to have them all killed. So that's what Esther is talking about there in Esther chapter 7, verse 4. Now, let's look at Esther 7, verse 5. Then the king Ahasuerus was, or excuse me, answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he that durst presume this in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy... Is this wicked Haman? Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went up or went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Verse 8. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? And word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman hath made for Mordecai, who has spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hanging thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Therefore was the king's wrath pacified. So this is just an example of a wicked Person being ensnared by his own iniquity, just as we had read there in the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 22. We'll reread that verse again. Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 22. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. In verse 23, he shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. An example there is Haman. Now let's look at another proverb illustrated, and that is seeking the wisdom of God. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. This is wisdom personified speaking. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence or discretion and find out knowledge of witty intentions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early, or diligently, shall find me. So, seeking the wisdom of God well there are two kinds of wisdom we find that over in James we want to go to James chapter 1 verse 5 first but there is earthly wisdom and there is wisdom from above. James 1:5 says if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, the word means scolded, it doesn't scold, and it shall be given him. So if we want wisdom, we need to pray to God. Now let's go over to James chapter three, verses 13 through 18. James three, thirteen through 18. He says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, the American Standard says, by his good life, his works with meekness and of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, so, earthly wisdom here, it poses as wisdom, but it is not. True wisdom, verse 13, expresses itself. All right, now, verses 16 through 18. For where anything and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So seeking the wisdom of God, the wisdom from above, instead of seeking wisdom from the earth. I want to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 34 to find the illustration of this in the life of King Josiah. 2 Kings chapter 34. It says here, beginning in verse one, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign and he reigned in Jerusalem one in 30 years. So that means Josiah's life was cut short, wasn't it? He was only 39 years old when he died. But notice the kind of life he lived. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father <coughs> and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Now you think about, the kings that were just prior to Josiah. His father's name was Amon. We find him there in verse 21 of chapter 33. It says, Amon was 22 years old when he began, two and 20 years old when he began to reign and reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord as, as did Manasseh his father. For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made and served them and humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But Amon trespassed more and more and his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. So his father was an idol worshiper. He was an evil man. His grandfather Manasseh, just a little description of him In chapter 33, verse 9. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to Aaron to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh was an evil king, but he did repent, at least. We find in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 33. Now the rest of the Acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto God and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel his prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all his sins and his trespass and the places wherein he had built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers." Alright, so he died, but he reigned 55 years there. So Manasseh's father, excuse me, Josiah's father was evil. His grandfather Manasseh was evil until he repented, but his great-grandfather was Hezekiah, whom we've already looked at. So Josiah did right in the sight of the Lord. Now, whether that was had to do with his father, his grandfather repenting, or the words of his great grandfather, which he had probably heard of as well, we don't know. But anyway, chapter thirty-four, verse three of Josiah, it says. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a, yet young, so if he began to reign when he was eight years old, verse 1, he is now 16. He began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, this would be when he was 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved things and the molten images. They break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on high above them he cut down, and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made dust of them, and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem." Well, what happens later? Verse 14. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. They didn't have it, but they found it. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I've found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the word back again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. They've gathered together the money and such there that we see. But verse 18, Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king, and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon the son of Micah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah the servant of the king, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me, and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all the things written in this book. Josiah wanted to inquire of God about this. That is seeking the wisdom of God. Now verse 22. And Hilkiah and they that the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college or the second quarter. And they spake to her to that effect. And she answered them, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah. She gave the reason in verse 25, now verse 26. And as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardst his words against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes, and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace, neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place, and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. So Josiah seeking the word of God. or well, Lord willing, next time we'll continue with some more Proverbs Illustrated, but this brings our lesson to a close today. So again, this is Don Boyd, and with the Moody Church of Christ, we want to invite you to come worship with us anytime that you are in the Moody, Missouri area. Uh, we're located on the corner there, Highway E in the city of, of Moody. It's not very big there. But uh, we meet on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible classes and at 11 o'clock for worship period. We meet at 6 o'clock Sunday evening for a worship period and then at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night as well for Bible classes. So thank you for being with us and we look forward to having you with us next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program.